This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am not joined by Brendan once again. So, as I always say when I do this by myself, in the words of Jason Derulo, I'm riding solo. Brendan is not feeling so well, folks. Uh, Has not been feeling well for a week or so, so uh, well wishes to him. He'll be fine. It's it's nothing major, uh, but it does prevent him from using his voice, which for a podcast, an audio-only podcast, is pretty prohibitive. So you guys are stuck with me. Another L for the Brendan-only fans. I know this has been a pretty rough stretch for you guys to just get stuck with me, but, but, on the plus side, we're talking about the Cubs sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh. They are a season high, five games over 500 at 27 and 22. I am recording this late on Thursday night in Chicago, almost the Friday morning hour, and I am awaiting live to see whether the Cubs are going to be in sole possession of first place as I record this podcast. The Cardinals and D-backs are in the 10th inning. The Cardinals up a run now. They just scored in the top of the 10th inning, if that helps you place when I am recording this. So one way or another, the Cubs will either be a half game out of first place as they come back home for Memorial Day weekend, or a half a game in sole possession of first place. Either way, pretty cool for the Cubs to be in that conversation. So I will be taking you through these three games with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, A pretty eventful series and some close games, but the Cubs win all of them. We do have more injuries, unfortunately, to discuss some more roster moves. And as you guys have already seen in these final two games, some new faces making their way into the lineup and having an impact in these games. So we will break all of that down. But all in all, a, a very successful three games for the Cubs here coming off of uh, you know a big emotional series with the St. Louis Cardinals coming into Pittsburgh, uh, especially when you have those getaway days on Thursday. Pat Hughes was talking about this before the game on Thursday, that these early games in Pittsburgh that we sometimes have when they're on the East Coast. You know, this game, the first pitch on Thursday was in the morning, technically, in Chicago. He he just, you know, talked about how those can sometimes be trap games. And, and even though the Cubs had won the first two, it's easy to kind of look ahead. You're going home to the city of Chicago, Wrigley Field, for Memorial Day weekend. You've already won the series, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Kyle Hendricks and the Cubs do not let their guard down. They win that final game uh, with some El Mago flair thrown in there. So let me take you through these three games right quick just to remind you all of what happened on Tuesday through Thursday, and then we will uh, break down some of it. Maybe this one, I, I went an hour by myself the last time. Maybe I'll try to keep it uh, on the shorter end this time, but we'll see. Sometimes I get rambling. You guys know how you guys know how it goes when Corey gets rambling. So we'll see what happens. But on Tuesday, it was a four to three win for the Cubs, a comeback win for the Cubs. They trailed three to nothing in this game after two innings, but they get one in the third and three in a big fifth inning to ultimately take this one from the Pirates. The Cubs getting their runs again. They trade 
trailed three to nothing after the second inning, but they get their runs. Jock Peterson, his third home run of the season. In the third, in the fifth, it was Jock Peterson's fourth home run of the year that tied the game at three, and Anthony Rizzo would provide the game-winning RBI with an RBI single in that same fifth inning. So a obviously good to see Jock. Uh, we, we have seen Jock since he came back from the injured list red hot at the plate, uh, but we hadn't seen him dropping bombs like we did in spring training, and certainly he provided the uh, power on Tuesday. So that was certainly good to see. And, you know, we knew he was hot. We knew he was using the whole field, especially wearing out that left center gap, uh, hitting a lot of doubles. If he's going to start sending the ball out of the ballpark, the Jock Peterson that the Cubs are getting in the regular season is going to look a lot more like the Jock Peterson the Cubs got in spring training, a guy who was, uh, you know, red hot throughout the entire Cactus League schedule uh, near the the leaderboard in terms of home runs and, you know, just really an all-around player there. So that is certainly what we saw from Jock on Tuesday. The Cubs getting a solid start from Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta in Pittsburgh. Always a fun time. Five innings, five hits, three earned, two, three runs, two earned, one walk, and seven strikeouts. That's his fifth win of the season. This was uh, not a dominant start for Jake, but a good one in that he gave up those early runs. Looked like it may be a short night for him or a troublesome night for him, but he really settled down to get through those last few innings, give the Cubs uh, a five-inning start, striking out seven. So pretty solid overall. The Cubs' bullpen continues to be lights out. Keegan Thompson, Andrew Chafin, Ryan Tapera, and Craig Kimbrell following Jake Arrieta in this game. That uh, those four guys allow just two hits between them, two walks between them, both of them coming from Keegan Thompson, and uh, two strikeouts for Thompson, one for Chafin, two for Tapera, and one for Craig Kimbrell. Craig getting his 10th save of the year, his earned run average sitting at 0.90 after this game, but Craig was not done in this series, so that ERA would lower. So again, four to three was the final on Tuesday. On Wednesday, it was a four to one win for the Cubs. A little bit easier in this one; they didn't have to come back at all, and they get there on a quality start from Trevor Williams pitching back in his old ballpark against his old team, the Pirates. His third win of the year: six innings, three hits, one earned, no walks, and seven strikeouts. So a really nice start for Trevor. He's uh, battled back after that stretch of you know pretty. Uh, rough starts, and this time he delivers a quality start. He also had a nice day at the plate, uh, getting himself two hits, two for three at the dish uh, for Trevor Williams on the day. Uh, The marquee camera had a nice cut to Trevor's dad, Richard, who's been traveling, as you guys know, to all of the games to watch him pitch. Uh, really pumped, just pumping his fist when when Trevor got that first hit. So that was uh, a good bit of fun. The Cubs getting their runs in this one via a David Bodie home run, his fourth of the season that made it two to nothing in the second. Chris Bryant, an RBI single in the second to follow that, that made it three to nothing. KB would add another RBI single for his second of the day in the top of the six. That made it four to nothing. The Pirates would get one in the six, but that would be all that she wrote. As I mentioned, Craig Kimbrell getting his second save of the series, his 11th of the season, just one hit and two strikeouts for Craig. 0.86 the ERA for Craig Kimbrell, so he is dialed in. After Trevor Williams, the Cubs bullpen keeps it going. 
Tommy Nance, Dan Winkler, Andrew Chafin, all clean innings in terms of not giving up any runs, just two hits allowed between those four guys and one walk, that one walk from Tommy Nance, and each of them with at least one strikeout, like I said, Craig Kimbrell with two. So the Cubs bullpen just keeps getting it done, folks. They are lights out for David Ross and Tommy Hadovy. So a really well-pitched game from Trevor Williams and the bullpen. Cubs get enough runs, and they take the series with this win in the finale on Thursday. It was a 5-3 to three win behind the arm of Kyle Hendricks, who goes seven innings, six hits, three earned, no walks, and five strikeouts. He does give up three home runs in this game, but as you can tell, as the Pirates only score three runs, he gave them up at the right time. So all of the solo variety, so you will take it. Just one of those things that, that happens with Kyle. You know, even when he's dialed in, he's still susceptible to the long ball when his command is not as fine. But if they're all solo home runs, you can live with it. That is Hendricks' fifth win of the season. Dan Winkler and Ryan Tapera coming in relief. Dan Winkler did walk two, so not his best outing. Tapera got out of a jam, though, and then finished the game off in the ninth for his first save of the year. Ryan Tapera, I tweeted this, uh, you know, pithy joke today, but I, you know, so far this year, he's he's looking to make himself an MVP vote earner, not an MVP vote getter not an accident vote-getter, although he's not even the MVP of this bullpen, but he has been really good. The Cubs getting their runs in this one, uh, some of them a very unique variety, so we'll see if I can describe the the second run of this game, but the first one came on Chris Bryant's 11th home run of the season in the first inning there, always a good way to get things started. In the third, the Cubs' second run of this game comes with Wilson Contreras on second base, Javi Baez grounds to third, the throw goes to first base, but Javi doesn't really run. He he runs a little bit down the line and then sort of backtracks. The Wilson Contreras, as Javi's doing this, streaks home. Javi continues to back up, avoid the tag. Guys, I have no idea, no idea what the Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman Craig was doing or thinking on this play? Was he thinking anything on this play? I don't know. He could have just stepped on the base and they would have had him. They could have just waited for Wilson to score and then made Javi do something and the run wouldn't count. So I genuinely have no idea what was going on here. Uh, But the run scores and then for whatever reason, Craig throws the ball to the catcher to try to get Wilson Contreras at home. Wilson is safe. Now, Javi being Javi, he's off to first base. The throw gets away, so he ends up on second base. The photos of this play where the first baseman, the catcher, Javi, and Wilson are all standing around the plate, if you showed that to someone and didn't tell them what was going on, I have no clue what you would think was happening but I definitely don't think you'd predict that Javi would end up safe at second base a mere, what, 10-ish seconds later. I was listening to the Pat Hughes audio as I was watching this, and I don't know if I can remember the last time I've heard Pat so sort of like excitedly 
trying to figure out how to describe what he was watching. He he kept repeating that he had never seen something like this. Ron Coomer was equally kind of uh, confused and excited and just sort of in awe of what they had just seen. It, it, it's one of those plays where it certainly, certainly goes to Pittsburgh and just uh, an absolute clown show of whatever they were calling defense there. They threw the ball away a few times. They Nobody on the team, their their manager, Derek Shelton, after the game, sort of tried to take responsibility and, and kind of deflect away from uh, Craig, the first baseman, in saying, you know, that's, that's a team thing. We got to be yelling at him to step on the base, to not worry about the runner coming home and all that. But however you want to spin it, just an abysmal, abysmal play. I mean, real little league stuff from the Pirates. That being said, though, right, we're what we're not going to do is take anything away from Javi here, right? Because Javi has an ability to force this type of stuff out of other teams. We have seen it not just on Thursday, we have seen this many times before, where he forces the issue and makes teams look stupid. This is not the first time this has happened. If this was an isolated incident, you might be inclined to say, ah, the Pirates messed up and Javi took advantage. But when Javi does this so frequently, and we've seen it on times where he's stolen home, gone first to third. You know, I, I remember there was a good one in Milwaukee, uh, I think on Lorenzo Cain maybe, but where he ends up at second base, uh, and it's just a single up the middle, but the, the outfielders are kind of loafing to get the ball, kind of assuming it's just a single, and boom, Javi's at second, right? So you have to give him some—you uh, have to give him a lot of credit. I was going to say some, but a lot, because he— forces these plays out of other teams. And it's sort of like a, you know, a bad uh, reference to his nickname, El Mago. But there really does feel like there's some sort of magic in when he picks those moments. It's almost as if he's casting a spell on these guys that they get so focused or enamored on what he's doing and, and whatever he's trying to do that they just forget how to play baseball. They forget the rules. They forget what they're supposed to be doing. And you got to give him credit for it because he keeps pulling stuff like this off. He has a way of making things happen. It's it's just something that not everybody has. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to watch Javi play baseball for several years now. We know this is not an isolated thing. This is not an accident that this is happening with Javi. He 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 presses the issue. He finds those moments. And in this case, he talked about it after the game. Like his focus with two outs was I just I'm just trying to get the run home, right? I ground it out. Wilson's running. I'm just trying to keep the play alive and get him home. And I mean when you look at the the video, Javi signals Wilson safe standing next to home plate. The Pirates have the ball at this moment. And yada, 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 right? I'm yada, yadaing over the best part. He ends up at second base safely. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. And, you know, if it was anybody else, if it was Ian Happ, for example, I'm just looking at the box score. So I said Ian Happ. You'd think, ah, oh, that was a bad play by the Pirates, like, nice job, I have to stay in it, or something like that. But when it's Javi, right, Every uh, the, the whole internet 
is just like, oh my God, like this guy's crazy. This guy's amazing. And he is. It's just he has a knack of making these types of plays. And, you know, it's almost as if he dares the other team to make plays and execute and says, look, I'm going to make this as difficult and confusing for you as possible. You think I'm just going to run into an easy out? No. I'm going to make you earn it. I'm going to make you make the play. And a lot of times they just don't. And you see stuff like you did, just a mess from the Pittsburgh Pirates. But that's what Javi is able to do. And that's just something that is uh, very special about Javi. And and one of those things where, you know, and this was exactly what Pat Hughes said on, on the radio broadcast, they don't call him El Mago for nothing. And it, and it's true. It sounds like something, you know, Cubs fans say or that's just, you know, sort of like a, an empty platitude, but it's not. It, he he has that nickname for a reason. He's not getting lucky when he does this stuff. It, it is his baseball IQ, it's his sense, it's his instinct to press the issue in these moments and dare a team like the Pirates to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. And Sometimes they just don't. I mean, he goaded Craig into this so beautifully. I, I mean, you're, I, I was laughing as I was watching it because I could not believe that he took the bait and, and went for Javi like that. But it's it's just something that he has an ability to do, and it's it's rather impressive. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm in the middle of a long kind of rant here while I was in the middle of trying to break down a game. Uh, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's Javi. Javi can interrupt a game. He can interrupt a podcast because he's just that special. So Ian Happ uh, following later in the inning with a single to make it three to nothing. In the fourth inning, Patrick Wisdom, one of the guys uh, kind of filling in here, as I mentioned, the injury thing. I'm going to talk about Nico and the injury uh, coming out of the recap here. That is Wisdom's first home run as a Cub. That made it four to nothing. The Pirates hitting three solo home runs, two in the bottom of the fourth and one in the bottom of the seventh off of Kyle Hendricks, but that only got them to within one, and Chris Bryant would bring home uh, the insurance run on a double play in the top of the ninth to make it five to three, and that would be all she wrote. So this was a really wacky game. It ended up being pretty close uh, after the Pirates hit those home runs. You, know, you had the excitement with Javi, and uh, after the Cubs won the first two games, and you sort of see a play like that, it, it kind of felt like the game was not as close as it was. But the Pirates made it close. Uh, nice of the Cubs' offense to get that insurance run in the ninth inning there and lock down this W. So it is a sweep. As I said, the Cubs now a season high, five games over 500 at 27 and 22. The Cardinals did just win in extra innings. So of course the Cardinals on the road bring home the inherited runner, but the useless Arizona Diamondbacks cannot do the same to extend the game. So the Cubs will enter the weekend at a half a game out of first place. Not bad, all things considered. The Cubs 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, and they have won four straight. So where does that leave us? Uh, where it leaves us is we have to talk about Nico Horner. So Nico Horner in the uh, first game of this series does come up uh, lame running to first. Uh, it looked like he hit the bag and immediately in a good bit of pain went down uh, very quickly, you know, sort of writhing in pain, uh, screaming a little bit. I, I couldn't really tell if it happened when he struck the bag with his uh, foot or, you know, kind of an awkward step on the bag and then trying to sort of stabilize himself, hurt, him, hurt the hamstring. 
I'm not really sure, but the Cubs reporting it as a mild, a mid to mild hamstring issue. So hopefully that is good news and they avoided the worst. Uh, you know, you never know with hamstrings, the type of stuff where it, it really ranges, right? We saw Jake Marisnik has has been dealing with that. And, uh, you know, that doesn't seem to be a super lengthy thing. Sometimes guys, you know, get severe tears or strains and it can keep them out for the whole season, for a few months. It ranges. So we don't have an exact timetable on Nico. He hits the 10-day injured list. We will see and just kind of hope for the best with that. Uh, But what you're hoping is that you avoided the worst and that he can at least come back uh, maybe in a month, a little longer than that, and and still contribute uh, for a significant portion of this season. The unfortunate thing, aside from, you know, obviously you just don't want to see anybody get hurt like that, is this, of course, comes as Nico was, you know, really kind of settling in to that second base role. Obviously, he's had a somewhat unique trajectory to his career, uh, being called up late in 2019 because of sort of just an emergency roster middle infield crunch situation that the Cubs had, struggled at the plate at, at that time, up in 2020 for the shortened, you know, weird COVID season, struggled at the plate in that, splitting time with Jason Kipnis a lot at second base. And, you know, doesn't start the season with the team here, comes up later, and had really seemed to kind of like found his groove. And, you know, when he hits the injured list here, he was hitting 338 with an 837 OPS. Uh, That OPS had come down a bit. He was really, you know, red hot when he first came up. So had come down a little bit, but still hitting really well. And he had shown you that he was going to, and and probably already is, a a plus-plus defender at second base at the major league level. He looked really good when he was on the bases, so was really showing you that athleticism, that all-around game that he's able to play, and that's kind of pulled out from under him. So, you know, again, you, you it's always unfortunate anytime someone gets hurt, but especially when you have a young guy who has struggled in parts of, you know, the opportunities that he's gotten in his career early on, now gets another opportunity here and, you know, really seemed to be cementing that second base spot and planting his flag as the everyday second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. I, I think earlier that day, it might have been on The Athletics, Sahadev Sharma had written an article about um, how him and Javi Baez were, were sort of developing and growing into that, you know, elite middle infield defense combination that you could kind of, if the Cubs extend Javi Baez, could envision playing up the middle and turning just ridiculous double plays on a nightly basis for years and years to come. And we had seen, you know, we had seen Nico make a couple of plays with uh, Andrew Chafin on the mound in that national series, you know, ranging to his left uh, and just making exceptional plays. So it's unfortunate that this kind of cuts that short because now he has to go through the rehab process. He'll have to come back and readjust to things. And unfortunately, you know, uh, little injuries like this, we've seen this a lot with different players. You know, these things can linger. I don't know if it will, but they can linger. They can linger in the back of your mind. 
mind even maybe make you a little uneasy at first so you know this this isn't uh an easy process for Nico to go through he'll he'll obviously go through it uh as well as anybody because he he has a great head on his shoulders and uh you know he's obviously shown you with the the sort of different opportunities that he's been given and taken you know he'll grind out anything he'll put in the work uh but it's unfortunate that when a guy comes up and and really seems to start looking and feeling comfortable holding their own at the major league level that this now kind of uh, derails that process at least for a little while so all our best to Nico uh, again you know he'll he'll get through this process however long it is and hopefully it is not too long but uh, an unfortunate process nonetheless as you know he really looked like the player you had kind of dreamed of him to be uh, for this time here in 2021 it, it does seem to be and, and the Cubs are not alone in this I, I was reading a, a metric and I apologize if I misquote this I didn't save the tweet but I believe it was 30 percent more trips to the injured list in this uh, season and you know if you look around I mean you see this from pretty much every team guys hitting the injured list on a daily basis whether it's pitchers or hitters and there was speculation on that so it's not all too surprising because we did kind of hear a good bit of speculation on that as we headed into spring training earlier this year you know what would it look like for these guys coming out of a unique 2020 season where they started then stopped then started up again but only for a couple of months and then stopped again and all that time are dealing with you know a global pandemic and a lot of quarantine rules uh minor league players didn't have a season at all some of them were at those satellite camps but not all of them and they weren't there for that long so it it was a question coming into this what was it going to look like for these guys were they all going to be in good shape what was their conditioning going to be you know we heard uh in particular on the pitching front from Tom Hadavi and the Cubs front office for most of this offseason that you know you were going to need more than just your standard five-man rotation and the usual set of bullpen guys you were probably going to have to rely on a larger group of arms to get through this because you just weren't going to have everybody up to speed and as stretched out as you would like them given the nature of 2020 and and everything that has gone on in the world, uh, including the world of baseball, for the past year. So we are seeing that uh, certainly on the Cubs, and if you look around the league, around the whole league as well. So it's it's something that is frustrating and and is uh, you know hard to deal with from a Cubs perspective, but they're not alone in that. And I think it's just something you're going to have to get used to. I, I, I'm not going. To, I don't want to sit here and predict that there's going to be more injuries throughout the year, uh, whether it's for the Cubs or for the rest of the league. But it certainly seems as though this is just how 2021 is going to go. There's going to be uh, more minor injuries. You know, guys just tweaking something, straining something, having to sit out for a week or two, right? And you're just going to have to, you know, bring guys up and have guys ready, uh, whether it's in the minors or, you know, kind of on the satellite squad, whatever it is, and be ready to plug and play, right? Uh, JD said it when when Nico went out and, you know, Sogard came in and Jim Deshays on the broadcast said, next man up. And it's 
that's one of those like sports cliches that you hear a lot, right? But I, I think in this season, and certainly as we've seen so far for the Cubs, it's true. It, it really is kind of going to have to be the motto. You're going to have to have guys step up. And this isn't the first time the Cubs have had to do this. You know, Jock Peterson went out for a little bit, Hap and both Nico went out for a little bit already. So, you know, and they've had to have guys step up and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But that is, I think, going to be the story of things. So Patrick Wisdom, I mentioned, hit the home run. He comes up and gets in some action. We've seen him before. Um, And Rafael Ortega also comes up and getting some playing time there. And so Ortega, uh, as you saw, he played left field in the final two games of this series uh, out and left for both of these games. He's 30 uh, and is one of those guys. He's only played in 143 now with an extra two uh, big league games so far in his career. And, you know, is one of those guys who's always put up pretty solid numbers offensively at AAA and in the minors, um, but just hasn't gotten that you know, big time look at the major league level. So, you know, you're not necessarily expecting the world from him, but, you know, we've seen guys like this before come up and, you know, you kind of just try to catch lightning in a bottle, right? A guy that uh, hasn't seen the majors that much, you know, less than a full season's worth of big league games in his career. And, you know, just see if he can get in there, ride, you know, some hot hitting that he's had. If you remember, he hit, uh, I believe, a walk-off grand slam in spring training, if you remember that from earlier uh, back in the Cactus League schedule in Arizona, that was Rafael Ortega. So, uh, you know, he's got some pop, uh, you know, had a a pretty uh, decent showing there in the games in Pittsburgh, going one for three, scoring a run, taking a walk in that first game, uh, going 0 for four, uh, no strikeouts, no walks, you know, nothing in that game on Thursday. So, you know, a decent start and he's going to get some looks. Uh, and Wisdom is going to get in there. Obviously, he hits a home run. Uh, he played right field in the game on Thursday. Thursday, he goes two for three in that game, scores a run, hits a home run. Uh, So, you know, a nice game for Patrick there, and that's what you're going to have to get. So the other part of this, of course, is David Bodie and Eric Sogard. So David Bodie and Sogard, uh, I think, are pretty different players, and I think they represent different options for David Ross. Now, mostly, in the in the recent uh, weeks, we've seen David Bodie playing a lot of third base with Chris Bryant, either uh, subbing like he did on uh, these last two games for Anthony Rizzo at first base, or playing the outfield. So Ross is going to have his options uh, if Duffy or Marisnik or Hayward are able to come back in the nearish future. I don't believe we have a particular timeline. I think all of those are progressing fine, but you know. They're they're not going to rush anybody back, and and I, I don't believe any of those are you know imminent. I, at least I haven't heard like to expect them on Friday or anything like that. But if they are able to come back, it'll certainly free up more options. But if if that is not the case, uh, you may continue to see KB in the outfield if Rizzo's back is better for this weekend, and see guys uh, like Sogard at second base and Ortega in the outfield. You can see Wisdom playing uh, at some of those positions. It played in the outfield on Thursday. So Ross is going to have options, um, but 
I think it's it's just what it is. You guys know how I feel about Eric Sogard. He is who he is, right? He's right now. He's got a 265 average, 657 OPS, uh, WRC plus. That's well below league average. Uh, had an error, or I don't know if they charged him with an error in that game, uh, but it wasn't a good play. Uh, <laughs> that that led to uh, a double uh, for the Pirates on Thursday, and you know it's just he's just you know a whatever kind of guy, right? You know mostly below average in a lot of categories, but he does put the bat on the ball, and that's something that you know someone like Bodie has struggled with at times for sure. So with Sogard, you know that you are going to get uh, decent at bats. He sees a lot of pitches. He fights off a lot of pitches, and he will put the bat on the ball. And there's going to be lineups, you know, if David Ross is anticipating a good bit of strikeouts or maybe uh, a game where you are just hoping to make some contact at certain portions of the lineup, he knows that Sogard can do that. Um, And, you know, just in, in particular on Sogard, like, in a perfect world with everyone healthy, you guys know I don't really want him getting that much playing time because he hits a lot of weak ground balls. It's a lot of weak contacts. Sometimes they find holes, sometimes they don't. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it whether it's Sogard or somebody else, you guys know that's, the, the profile is not the type of player that I love, right? Um, weak contact, mostly on the ground. You're kind of reliant on BABIP. It's, it's not really my thing. It's not my jam, right? But when your roster is is spread this thin and you're looking to just identify skills basically right like what can i hope this guy is going to do in this game sogard does have one of those and ross may be able to do it it also gets you to a point when you're looking at the roster and so many guys being out it's it's hard to uh you know rail on sogard in particular when Bodie has been quite a bit worse uh, through the the majority of this season. You know, I read off Sogard's numbers, 265 average, 657 uh, OPS. David Bodie's at a 193 average and a 584 OPS. So it's it's not really fair to, you know, act as though Sogard has been the worst player or is the worst player because he really hasn't been. Um, And when the rosters stretch this thin, you need guys to step up and you need, again, to just be able to say, okay, I'm not looking for this guy to go four for four every day. He doesn't have to hit home runs all the time. He's not going to be our best player, but what can he do for us? And with Sogard, that is putting the ball in play, hitting situationally, ground balls to the right side when you have a runner on second base, move the runner over, fly balls to the outfield when you need contact to bring a runner in from third, et cetera, et cetera. Sogard has shown that he can do that. Now, as it relates to Bodie, uh, Bodie's such an interesting player, you guys, and I, it's 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 often very confusing what to make of him because we've talked a ton about his expected stats, the way he hits the ball hard, uh, the expected numbers, you know, being better and him deserving better, and we've seen, you know, someone like Ian Happ who had that situation earlier in the year has seen more success, seen those numbers come around. And, you know, if you were looking at those numbers earlier in the year, you're feeling a a bit, uh, you know, kind of rewarded for trusting him and trusting those numbers and knowing, you know what, his process looks pretty good. If he can cut down on some of the the whiffs, you know, this will all come together because the underlying stuff doesn't look as bad as his numbers do, right? In fact, they look quite a bit better. 
Bodie's been like that, but I it just isn't translating in terms of results. You know, right now he's got a 262 weighted on base average and a 65 WRC plus, which is well, well, well below league average. And actually on the season in 2021, he has rated as a below replacement level player. So that's obviously not good, but you know what he can bring and and why he got the opportunity at second base in the first place, right? He hits the ball hard. He often shows you that he can make flashy plays. Uh, Sometimes he struggles with the easy plays, which has always been kind of confounding in terms of David Bodie, but he's shown you he can make really good plays on defense and he can hit the ball hard. He cranked that home run in uh, the game in this series and it was a big home run and, you know, he really needed it. But at the same time, are you going to get that consistently? And that has been the issue. And just for comparison, I read off some of those numbers. Like Sogard's at an 80 WRC+. That's not good. That's still well below league average. But it's, you know, better. It's it's a good bit better than David Bodie's. So it's it's one of those things where in terms of ceiling, Bodie's is higher. But the floor appears to be... Uh, lower, a good bit lower, because he he's not as reliable as Sogard is in terms of just making contact, making the defense make plays, hoping that a ball finds a hole, things like that. Bodie just isn't able to do that as much. Uh, so you hope to see better from Bodie. Bodie's K rate is actually lower than it's been in most of his career. Most of his career sat around a 26 to 28% K rate, 22%, 23%, sorry, in 2021. Uh, but the walk rate has also come down. So the walk rate at about 8.5% in 2020, it was 11.7%. 2019, it was 12.4%. So it's uh, it's a choice for David Ross. Right now, both of those guys might end up in the lineup on a pretty frequent basis. But if you're able to get some guys back and you're able to, you know, say Marisnik or Hayward comes back, you know, then you can move KB perhaps back to third base. And then the decision becomes, who are you going to play at second? If Duffy comes back, you can play Duffy at third base and then put KB in the outfield, and then do you want to start Bodie or Sogard at second base? It's it's going to be a decision, but I think it, it it when we get to that point, it's going to be a David Ross call in terms of does he want to go with the upside and maybe hope that Bodie can slug a little bit in the game, rip a double, rip a home run, something like that, or does he want to defer to just knowing that Sogard is going to touch the baseball with the bat and put the ball in play and try to force the issue in that regard. Uh, so we will see how that all plays out, but that is, you know, really, uh, the options. And again, you know, you have guys like Patrick Wisdom and Rafael Ortega, and you're going to see what, uh, David Ross decides to do with all of these guys. And, you know, the hope is that at least one of them can get hot for a little bit. You can kind of ride the hot hand and that makes the decision a little easier for you. Uh, we'll see if that, you know, ends up being how it shakes out. 
But that would certainly, you know, wisdom hitting the home run, perhaps that gets him, uh, you know, another start, another look in the future here. And, you know, that makes the decision a little easier for Ross and company. But we'll see. It's it's a tough spot. The depth is already stretched thin. You've got Duffy, Hayward, Marisnik all out. You've got Rizzo sitting games because of his back. We've had Wilson banged up at times. Javi's been banged up. Uh, you know, you have Hap, who's just recently come back from an injury. So there's all sorts of stuff, uh, unfortunately, going on with the Cubs right now, and they're just going to have to weather the storm. It, it seems to be a common theme around the league, and hopefully the Cubs are up to it, and, and so far they have been. They, they just need to take care of business. They are not blowing gut teams out in these games. They are just doing what is necessary to win these games, and I think the guys that they have are capable of doing it, uh, but you, you know, you're also going to need to rely on your stars a little bit more. And and they've been doing that. You know, Chris hitting home runs, Javi making plays. You know, you need those guys to step up a little bit uh, because the depth is being tested. And this was never really a team that was built to rely on their depth, uh, but they are weathering the storm. They've weathered the storm so far this season, and you know, hopefully they can continue to do that. It's been an impressive job of them to manage these injuries so far, and it's also been an impressive job by David Ross. This isn't easy, and, and we talk about this a lot, you know, to remember that this is David Ross's first full season managing a major league baseball team and this is a pretty tall order that he has been given and I I don't want to preemptively make any excuses I don't think he needs them I think he's done a good job but I think you want to have a little bit of patience in letting him kind of feel out how to manage this, right? And, you know, we've seen him. He's been flexible. And, and of course, it relies on the players being flexible. But he's been flexible saying, hey, KB, you're going to the outfield today. You're playing third. Matt Duffy, you're playing here. You're playing there, right? He's been willing to mix and match things to get the guys in the lineup that he wants. But this is going to be a test for him. He's missing a lot of players right now. He's had, uh, you know, a few players, you know, Nico in particular. You know, when Nico came back up, like, clearly David Ross was getting to the point where it was just Nico's job at second base. And he was just going to, you know, wash, wipe his hands of it, write the lineup out there, Nico at second base. And now that's, you know, taken away, right? You have a guy like Jason Hayward, who obviously plays a lot, even though he had struggled at the plate and he's not there, you know, so you have to replace that. And that isn't easy. So I give David Ross uh, a lot of credit for being adaptable. And this was one of the things he talked about in kind of evaluating himself after the 2020 season was, you know, that he still has stuff to learn. He still needs to, uh, you know, he's going to make some mistakes and and be able to learn from them. And I, I think that he's showing in the 2021 season that he he is flexible and he is willing to sort of just go with the punches and try different things out, see if it works, and ultimately figure out what the best thing for the Cubs is to do. So this is going to be a, a test for this team. It's not not going to be easy, uh, but so far they have weathered the storm. I think the schedule, once we get to that Padres series at the beginning of next week, 
ratchets up a little bit. And so, you know, this depth is going to be tested. And again, you know, you're going to need, Jock Peterson's been red hot. You're going to need that to stay there, right? Wilson has, has uh, you know, his OPS has come down to about 786, hitting 245 in terms of his batting average. So his numbers have gone into a bit of a tailspin. Tailspin's aggressive, but they, they've gone, you know, in the wrong direction for a good bit now. So you're going to need these guys to step up. Ian Happ, came back from the IL, has been really good, has been hot. You're going to need that to continue. And, you know, really a key for this team would be, uh, you know, someone like David Bodie, you know, really getting things together and going on a little bit of a hot stretch here. Someone like Eric Sogard too, but you know, again, and, and this isn't like to to rip him or anything, but he he's a veteran. You know, he's in his mid thirties, right? Like, you know, David Bodie's more of a guy who his experience at the major league level. He's been on the team for a few years now, but you can at least still hopefully dream on him uh, putting it together a little bit more. Like Sogard is more of we know what we're getting there, we know when we want that in the lineup and how to deploy that. Uh, Bodie, you can you know sort of dream a little more on like can he put this together and you know show us some of the flashes of of that really great hit that we've seen from him in parts of his uh, major league career. So that's the state of the offense. It is black and blue. It's bruised. It's uh, on the injured list. It's going to be a sort of plug and play band-aid kind of situation here until we can get some of these guys back. And, you know, in the meantime, it's just about keeping the rest of these guys healthy uh, with everything that seems to be going on in the league. So that's really all I have uh, about the offense. It, it it just is one of those things, you know. You you if if someone like Ortega or Patrick Wisdom can go on a hot streak here, you know, you have uh, Martini there as well. If you can get those guys in and they look good, you can ride them for a little bit. You know, hopefully you only need them to play well or be hot at the plate for a couple weeks, you know, maybe until some of these guys start to trickle back in from the injured list. And you, you really hopefully, you know, just need like one of them to, to sort of light a spark in this offense a little bit. And hopefully, you know, Chris Bryant can keep carrying things. Anthony can come back and get back to what he was doing and the Cubs can weather the storm. So, the uh, last thing I want to talk about really is just the pitching. This was a really well-pitched series for the Cubs. Uh, Jake Arrieta doesn't go six innings, uh, but is uh, solid in this one. It's only 79 pitches in the five innings. So again, as we talked about before, the bullpen being as good as, as it has been allowed David Ross to say, you know what, Jake, you battled back from giving up those early runs. You settled down. You kept the offense in the game. The offense has come back and put you in line for a W, I'm going to turn it over to the bullpen, and I am going to ask them to deal with the rest of this. And they do, and they take care of it in each and every game. So a solid start from Jake Arrieta, um, and really good to see him settle down there, right? Because we know he can be wild at times. We know, uh, you know, he's had some blow-up innings, blow-up starts in uh, Philadelphia and, you know, in his uh, latter portion of his time in Chicago. But it's it's always a, a testament to where the guys are at that they can stop the damage, stop the bleeding, settle down, and ultimately keep the team in the game. The Cubs fell in an early 3-0 hole in that one. Jake Arrieta did what he could, and the offense paid it off for him. The offense had his back and, you know, sort of said, like, you kept it close for us. We got this, right? So good job by Jake there and an excellent job, of course, by the bullpen. Uh, Really nice start for Trevor Williams. You feel good for him there, and, you know, it just looked such uh, just a much better game. Uh, you know, obviously this is against the Pirates, but so what, right? That that's one of those things that I I I get really tired of when it comes up 
when the Cubs sweep the Pirates or Trevor Williams has a good start against the Pirates or anything. Like, the Pirates are in their division, guys. There's a lot of teams in the MLB that are not very good, um, and the division isn't that good. The Cubs play who's on the schedule. They're going to have to play the Pirates a lot. They've already played the Pirates a lot. It's been a huge portion of their early schedule so far. So who cares if the Pirates suck, right? The Cubs beat them. That's what they're tasked to do on a daily basis, right? This start for Trevor Williams counts just the same as if he faces the Padres next week, if he faces the Dodgers later in the year. It doesn't make a difference. It's all one game, and Trevor Williams was really good in this one. As I mentioned, he did the job at the dish as well, but really nice to see this from him, and it's and it's needed, right? The bullpen has been really good, but you don't always want to ask them to work, you know, four-plus innings a night or something like that, and you want to be be able to rely on your starters. So Williams going six in the game on Wednesday, Kyle Hendricks going seven in the game on Thursday, takes a little bit off the bullpen, doesn't ask them to go as long after they pitch the four innings on Monday. So nice from Trevor and and just good to see him kind of riding the ship a little bit. You want to see more out of it. He's going to have to continue this a little bit, but there was chatter, you know, a few starts ago, like, was he potentially on the outs in the rotation? Was he going to get replaced? Was he going to, you know, maybe get skipped a turn or two and give someone else a look and we'll get back to him later or something like that? There was chatter amongst that. I don't know if there was chatter at, you know, for the decision makers, the people that matter, but, you know, a lot of uh, writers and the people analyzing the Cubs were at least bringing up the thought, right? So he had a a pretty solid outing, even though it was short in in the start before this, uh, you know, and Ross kind of being like, okay, that's cool. We're going to go to the bullpen, going to cut this short, but that's fine. Uh, And then coming back with a quality start here, no walks, the key number, seven strikeouts. So getting some whiffs, getting some strikeouts in this game, uh, nice for Trevor and, you know, gives you confidence going forward. As we saw, you know, Kyle Hendricks looks like himself. You're pretty much counting on him now to go out there and give you a quality start each outing, hopefully, you know, seven plus even, right, which we've seen him doing with more regularity now. So you have some stability there. You're excited about what Alzali is doing. He's continuing to go deeper into games and kind of uh, developing more into a top of the rotation guy. But you want to be able to stretch what the bullpen is doing out more, right? And that relies on guys like Williams and Davies and Arietta going deeper into games, giving you the occasional quality start, keeping the team in the game, because it allows you to keep more of these bullpen guys fresh. In the game on Tuesday, David Ross is confident if I take Jake Arietta out after the fifth inning, I can ask this bullpen to get the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. And I'm confident in that. But you don't want to do that every day right? Because you want to keep these guys fresh. You want to keep some of the guys who are having such great success in this pen available, you know, more often and not trying to cram so much bullpen success into a short span of time. And that's how you sustain this, right? You know, a a lot of people wonder, can the bullpen sustain this? How good are they going to be for this long? And the way you do that is by getting more length out of the starters. Of course it is, right? Like it, it sounds sort of obvious for me to say, but it's just worth pointing out. Like the bullpen has been really good, but you don't want to take that for granted. And that's why a start like Williams on Wednesday is so important because it allows 
Ross to cover less of the game from the bullpen and keep this stretch with the bullpen not giving up any runs and just being lights out going for a little bit longer. And I don't really have much to add on Kyle Hendricks. He looks great. The long ball is an issue with him. We've seen it before, um, but no walks. That's always a key number for him. Uh, And it's a key number when you're getting bit by the home run ball, right? As long as you're not putting guys on for free and you're giving up solo homers, it's okay. Uh, But I think the important thing for Kyle here is he's hitting that stretch where he's going seven innings at least with regularity. He's winning games. He just looks like sort of vintage Kyle Hendricks, and I think you can count on that going forward. So I, I, I think that that's generally all that I have for you guys. This was a pretty like simple series, all things considered. Um, you know, the Cubs winning one game by one run, one by three runs, one by two runs. So they didn't blow the Pirates out. They didn't, you know, uh, light anything on fire here. They're not, you know, jumping off the page with excitement and in a lot of these things, but they're winning games. They're finding a way to win games. And that is the key for a team like them in a division like this. And especially in a year where not just your team, but a lot of teams seem to be dealing with a rush of injuries. The key is finding a way to win games, getting the hits that you need to, the timely hits, that big hit that the other team isn't able to get, and shutting things down with your pitching. And the Cubs are doing that, right? We knew that this team was not necessarily going to look like a juggernaut from the jump, right? They were not going to look like the 2016 Cubs and blow teams out and just, you know, look like the Harlem Globetrotters out there, right, on a a nightly basis. We knew that. We knew this division was going to be close. We knew that the margin of error for this team wasn't that great and that there were, you know, a high variance of outcomes for how this team could go. But right now, they are doing everything that you want them to be doing to be successful. They don't have to blow the Pittsburgh Pirates out to be a good team right? They need to score enough runs and keep enough runs off the board to win the game. And they're doing that. It certainly helps, right? It's been a huge, and we've talked about it a lot over the past week or two, it's huge that the bullpen has been this good because when you're talking about margin of error and things like that and with how up and down the rotation has been, that makes things a lot easier, right? That changes that margin of error uh, pretty significantly when you can trust your bullpen to be lights out uh, for three plus innings a night, basically, right? Um, but this team is is showing you that they have what it takes to win games as constructed. And in this division, it's not going to take much more than that, right? They showed you they can do it against the Cardinals. And they just need to rack up wins. And and that's why this was such a good series and a very satisfying sweep because you come off that series with the Cardinals, you have, you know, for a few weeks now fluctuated below, at, above 500. And you're finally sort of giving yourself some space there. And coming off a series with the Cardinals, you know, you didn't want to go the other direction and have a a bit of a letdown against the Pirates. And they did the exact opposite of that. They showed up in Pittsburgh. They took care of business in three games. They get themselves three wins. And they'll have an opportunity here to go back to Wrigley Field. And if they play well enough and the Cardinals lose some games, to find themselves in first place. And it'll be a situation where they deserve it. If the Cubs end up in first place this weekend, they will deserve to be the best team 
in this division because they have played well enough. They have done the job. They have gotten guys to step up on offense. They have weathered some injuries, and they have gotten some huge performances out of a lot of their pitching staff to get them through this early portion of the 2021 season. So they are in a really nice spot right now. They do, again, like they are not necessarily the best team in the league. I don't think anybody would confuse them for that, but they are a solid baseball team and they are showing you that they know how to win games. And at the end of the day, right, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're the best team in the league. It just matters if you win the last game you played. So they are showing that they have the ability to do that. And as we head toward the end of May here, they are making things very interesting for the front office and Jed Hoyer. I have no clue what they are thinking up there and what they're going to do. But I, I think any plan, I mean, we're almost at June here, right? Like we're, we're, we're uh, you know, not at the trade deadline. Like there's still a good bit of runway to get there. But the, 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 they are clearly competitive in this division. They are clearly showing that they can be the best team in this division. I don't think anybody would look at this and question that necessarily. Question that they can do that right, over the course of 162 games, if this roster is left alone or if this roster is improved, right, if they're a buyer in this situation. So at the very least, they have made this hard for the front office, which is what you want them to do. We talked about earlier in the year, the concern was not necessarily whether this team could be good. Uh, Brendan and I and a lot of people, and I think a lot of you, knew and believed in this team that they could win this division, uh, even if that didn't mean they were going to win, you know, 95 plus games, we believed they could win the division, but they needed to be given a chance. And when they struggled a bit out the gate, fell below 500, I think at one point they were in fourth place, uh, five games out of the Cardinals in first place. You know, that puts them in an awkward spot and it puts Jed Hoyer in an awkward spot, but they have come out of that and they have kind of flipped the script on that, you know, sell-off narrative at the deadline because, like I said, I mean, they can find themselves in first place this weekend and it will not be a situation where they have lucked into it or you are looking at them thinking, oh, no, you know, this team doesn't have it. I think if you're looking at this team, it's 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 taking each man on the roster every day, but they can win games. They can absolutely compete in this division, and they can absolutely win it, especially as you're watching them do this with so many guys on the injured list. If they are able to get healthier, even just more healthy, mostly healthy, this is a solid team, you guys. That like they are showing you that they have what it takes to hit that kind of higher end of the projections that a lot of us had for them or that a lot of, uh, you know, models and things like that had for them. They can do it. So let's see what happens, right? Like we're back at Wrigley Field. I will be there. Kind of sounds like the game on Friday might get rained out, but I'll be there whenever they play next at Wrigley Field. I will be there. And as you guys know, I'm there to take care of business. I'm there to sing the song and fly the W at the end of the day. And that is uh, my word to you guys, that that is what I'm here to do, and I intend to take care of business. So let me take a look uh, at the upcoming games against the Cincinnati Reds here. 
Again, it looks like the game is going to get rained out on Friday. It's never good when, you know, the percentages are at 90% or whatever. But if you're listening to this on Friday morning, you'll probably know uh, or not, but uh, at at least uh, just something to keep in mind if you're listening to this in advance. So the Reds actually bringing up Vladimir Gutierrez to start on Friday. He is just 25 uh, he will start against Adbert Alzali. Alzali two and four with a 4.30 ERA. Gutierrez is a right-handed pitcher, by the way. Uh, so you know, a look at a guy uh, that they will have to try and figure out on Friday. So you know, hard to predict in that one. On Saturday, it'll be Luis Castillo against Zach Davies. Castillo, uh, one of the more surprising pitchers so far this year. He is 1-7 with a 7.6 ERA. So this is a guy who we have seen give the Cubs trouble before, uh, especially with that changeup of his, but he has struggled mightily in the 2021 season. Zach Davies, 2-2 with a 4.96 ERA. He has been uh, much better as of late, and you hope that he is able to continue that. The Reds are to be decided for Sunday's game, and it will be Jake Arrieta on Sunday for the Cubs, 5-4 and four, with a 4.37 ERA. So what are we looking for? Just keep it going. Keep winning games. We know this division's going to be tight. We know each game might be tight on a nightly basis, but the Cubs are getting it done. They're getting the hits when they need to. They're pitching the way that they need to. If the starter isn't there, you know, doesn't have it on a particular night, the bullpen's picking them up. If the starter's there, the bullpen's still picking them up, right? And they, they've got different guys coming through on offense. Hopefully they can get a little healthy, but there, I don't, I don't really have anything in particular. You know, pay attention to who Ross is giving playing time to. Which of these guys who are kind of filling in are are stepping up and you know maybe kind of carving out a little bit more of a role, more playing time for themselves. But otherwise, just keep winning. That's all it is. Just keep winning, and hopefully by the end of the weekend, the Chicago Cubs head into uh, you know the holiday on Monday uh, in first place because that sounds really, really great. So thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, thank you guys for your support of the Cubs-related podcast. And again, uh, Brendan is not feeling well, uh, has not been well for a little while now, so appreciate you guys bearing with us. Uh, you know, we try to avoid this. Um, in terms of our work schedules, our social lives, things like that, that is that never happens, right? Where it's just one of us going solo for a reason like that. Uh, if we have to do this, and we've had to do this twice now in the last three episodes, it's a situation that is out of our control. Uh, I, you know, have spoken to Brendan. I think you guys could tell when he tried to do the episode the other day. His voice just isn't there. Uh, so there's not that much we can do. Um, I suppose he could have typed out his thoughts, maybe in a blog or something like that, but there, there's not much to do. I hope he's, uh, ready and, you know, healthy, uh, enough to do the next episode for us. But if not, uh, it'll be me again. If you guys would prefer it be me and somebody else, you know, let me know, uh, tweet at me or DM me on Twitter or whatever at CF Cubs related. I can reach out to, you know, some of my Cubs friends uh, to co-host. If I'm being honest with you, I prefer to do it by myself. Uh, This is, you know, Brendan and ours space. I feel Brendan and my space. Um, I feel like I kind of speak for him a little bit and I just prefer to keep it in-house personally. But if you guys have a strong preference that you are absolutely sick of hearing me talk to myself for an hour, 
you know, let me know. That's fine. I won't take offense to it. Um, you know, criticism is good as long as it's constructive. So just trying to get through this and, you know, until Brendan is healthy enough to go with me again and do what we can to keep it uh, entertaining and informative for you guys. So thank you again for bearing with us. Uh, appreciate your support. And we will talk to you after the Cubs and Reds finish up this weekend. As always, go Cubs.